0: I've loved this band from the very first time that I saw them. Maybe I don't love them as much as my friend Neil, who got a tattoo with the chorus from the track Sovereignty on his arm. It's raining in Vancouver, but I don't give a fuck, because I'm far from home tonight. It's in but I don't give a fuck, tonight. He got it before he moved away for what he thought would be forever, He's been back here for a decade already, suffering through the wet gray with the rest of us. Anyways, maybe I don't love this band as much as some people, maybe I don't love them as much as Neil, but I have loved this band from the very first time that I saw them. In July of 2007, I was one year past my university graduation, working at that same university in a job I hated. My friend convinced me to apply because in between phone calls, I could work on music writing. I fancied myself a music journalist not because I was very good at writing or had ever been drawn to writing before that, but because I just loved music so much. I had to fancy myself something music related, and even I wasn't delusional enough to fancy myself an actual working musician. Here's what I wrote about Japandroids after the first time I saw them on July 20th, 2007. The guys in Japandroids weren't all that impressed with their own performance at Hoku's last night. On the one hand, I could see why. There were some flub notes and false starts, they were rushed for time, and the short set seemed to put a bit of a damper on their mood. On the other hand, if you want to listen to music without mistakes, you can stay home and listen to records. The time constraints meant they just cranked out song after song for a half hour without letting up, and a little bit of attitude, especially if it's from guys who weren't actually assholes, can go a long way. I was pretty into the songs they were streaming on MySpace, but their live show, and by their own admission a crappy one at that, it was one of the best things I've seen from a new band, at least new to me, in ages. Check them out at Casa Del Artista on the 10th, and pick up their EP All Lies at a show or at Zulu. Rest in peace to Casa Del Artista, and shout out to Zulu Records, I hope you live forever. I regret to inform you that you can no longer pick up the Japanroids EP All Lies at Zulu, or anywhere else however you can find the collected works of all eyes and the follow-up ep lullaby death jams on the compilation no singles wherever you stream music and i believe it's still in print on vinyl if you want to stay home and listen to records we're going to talk a lot more about your pandroids but before i do that let me introduce the show and introduce myself my name is Quinn mori I have no relevant credentials for a podcast about Vancouver music, other than to say i spent now the vast majority of my life loving music, and the entirety of my life living in Vancouver, Canada. So welcome to Slang of the City, a podcast about some of the bands and songs that make Vancouver special, at least to me. Some of them you'll surely have heard of, and some of them you surely won't have, but each episode, I'll take a look, and we'll take a listen, to a Vancouver band and break down one of their iconic songs, Along with a different guest, usually an ex or current Vancouverite. With that out of the way, let's continue with Japan Droids. My favorite song on All Lies is their cover of McCluskey's "To Hell with Good Intentions." Maybe that sounds like a backhanded compliment, but I like it more than I like the original. With so apologies to Andrew Felkus. My favorite song on Lullaby Death Jams is the ludicrously titled Darkness on the Edge of Gastown. I just listened to it before I started recording. And when I say ludicrously titled, I hope you don't get the impression that I think they shouldn't have called the song Darkness on the Edge of Gastown. It is, in retrospect, one of the most Japandroids song titles in the Japandroids catalog. And I love that they did it. Fucking love Japandroids. I can't, with all honesty, say I still love everything they've done, but I fucking love Japanroids. I love so many of their songs, and I love the way I felt when I seen Japan droids in two thousand seven and for a great many years after that. Maybe I'd feel that way again if I saw them tomorrow. I don't know, but I hope so because I enjoy feeling that way when I think about Japandroids, I think about gunning shitty beer biking around East Van, and believing there was nothing more important than watching as many bands as possible on as many nights as possible. When you think that's the best thing you can do with your life, your friends in Droids write songs that reaffirm everything. I got dumped one time on the way to a Japandroid show. I had stopped at my girlfriend's place thinking we were going to go to the show together to meet some friends. It was Halloween, and I was wearing a children's monkey suit. Have you ever been dumped while wearing a fucking children's monkey suit? If you have, I hope you picked yourself up and went to see Japan droids anyways. I don't remember much else from that night, but I bet they fucking rocked. They always do. If you went to any local punk or punk-adjacent show in Vancouver in the decade between about 2005 to 2010, chances are you saw Steve Louie up near the front taking photos. I remember talking to Steve in Calgary during the Sled Island Music Festival in 2008. Steve had gone to see Japan Droids while the rest of us were off watching Hot Snakes or Liars or some other band we couldn't see at home. I asked him how their set went and he replied, there were four of us. Oof, I thought. Until he clarified and it got worse. That four of us meant him, the two guys in Japan Droids, and someone else who looked like they'd wandered in by accident. Fast forward to a year after when the band played at Slut Island's largest indoor venue, the Calgary Legion. It was already filling up when I walked in, said a quick hello to the guys on stage while they were setting up, and I remember my new girlfriend, who did not share my enthusiasm for Japan Droids, rolling her eyes back so far I thought they were going to pop Right out of her head, when she told me, someone behind her gasped and said, Oh my god, that guy knows Japan Droids. They'd come a long way in a year. Japan droids are a two-piece band consisting of Brian King on guitar and vocals, and Dave Prouss on drums and vocals. As far as I can tell, and as far as Brian would like me to be able to tell, he wasn't in any bands anyone knows about before Japan Droids, or after Japan Droids started. Dave has lent his talents to a handful of bands around Vancouver over the years, but really, the two of them migrated from Victoria to Vancouver and they started Japan Droids. And that really fits with the Japan Droids mythology. The mythology they crafted for themselves anyway. This is it. That was it. It was Japan Droids and it was Japan Droids or bust. And it was almost like for so many bands bust. droids were on the verge of breaking up when they were gearing up for the release of their debut full-length post-nothing. Brian and Dave's expectation was that they'd put out the record, no one outside of Vancouver would give a shit, but they'd do a tour anyways, and then they'd call it a day. But well, that's when Pitchfork's Mark Richardson heard Young Hearts spark fire on the band's MySpace and took notice. Shout out to my friend Kim, who was pissed where I replaced my entire MySpace Top 8 with bands which meant like Sleater Kinney or someone usurped her former number one status. Maybe MySpace Top 8s are stupid, but thinking you were too cool to highlight your friends on your MySpace Top 8 but still desperately needing to have a MySpace was probably more stupid. Anyhow, Mark Hogan got the assignment to review the band's first real single for Pitchfork, and here's what he said in 2009, just three months before it was a big deal, for that guy to know japan droids we used to dream now we worry about dying members brian king and david Proust cry out in the kind of doomed romantic instant quotable we used to get from fellow canadians the constantines you know mark i don't think you needed to bring down the constantines to make your fucking point here but i digress the whole song hinges on the contrast between innocence and destruction It's tuneful and universal enough to have been produced as a radio-ready pop-punk single, but it has the kind of volatile churn you'd expect from a band known to cover McCluskey's To Hell With Good Intentions, which helps to make all of its conflicted emotions sound, for lack of a less controversial word, real. Real. That review and the subsequent review of Post Nothing both came out when Pitchfork were at the height of their powers, and so Japan Droids blew up. Kinda. They kept the real jobs for a while, I knew Dave worked in a restaurant, but Brian would never tell me what he did. When I asked him formally during an interview for a now-defunct publication, he straight faced, I'm a scientist. I drop science. I pre-spent all the money I made writing that interview, on the beers and whiskey we drank during the interview. I did that a lot. I had a problem with spending before I got it. One of the many reasons, along with not enough talent, that I never made it as a music journalist. I did find out what Brian did eventually, but I'm not going to tell you. It's not important to their story. In fact, it's better that you don't know. I wish I didn't know. Brian drops science. Brian makes rock and roll music kind of feels like that was the whole point of Japan droids to make rock and roll music. Some, like a lot of bands want to make statements. They think they have something important to say. Some of them do. Most of the time, it felt like Brian and Dave just wanted to make songs and more importantly, play shows. They're two guys from Vancouver who love the whole idea of rock and roll so much that they had to find a way to live a life. rock and roll ian cohen revisited the band's second full-length celebration rock for stereo gum last year and zeroed in on that concept with a quote from brian that he described as one of the most insightful things he'd ever seen an artist say about their own music here's that quote there's a difference between people who are born with that special thing and people who love the people who are born with that special thing so much that they want to try their best to get as close as they can to it. I think Brian's maybe selling Japan droids a little short here, but I deeply identify with those words. Like I mentioned off the top, I thought of myself as a music writer because I admired so many music people born with that special thing. That said, I didn't ever really get close to it. Brian and Dave, on the other hand, were never, I don't know, Radiohead or U2, but for a time at least, it sure seemed like they were harnessing something pretty special to a lot of people, including me. Japan Droid is a mix of two ideas they had for a band name: Japanese Scream and Pleasure Droids. I'm not gonna sit here and tell you Japan Droids is an all-timer, but it sure as fuck sounds a lot better than Japanese Scream or Pleasure Droids. Japandroid's first release was the aforementioned Olize EP in 2007, and their latest release is the 2020 live album Massey Fucking Hall. Maybe that's why I'm swearing so much. Massey Fucking Hall. That's a real Japandroid-sounding album title. Except Massey Fucking Hall is in fucking Toronto, and it should have been called the Commodore Fucking Ballroom. It remains a Canadian band achievement to play Massey, but more importantly, it's a Vancouver band achievement to play the Commodore. Yes, Toronto. How y'all doing? Well, my name is Brian. That right there on the drums is David. And we are called Japan Droids from Vancouver, British Columbia. Thank y'all so much for coming out and spending the school night with us. Japan Droids' most recent studio album is 2017's Near to the Wild Heart of Life. And their debut full length came out two years after that fateful night at HOKO's. Shout out and rest in peace to HOKO's and it's that record called Post Nothing. And indeed, that record is Post Nothing, because it's filled with the kind of here's some loud guitars, and here's some loud drums, and here's us yelling over the guitars and drum shit that definitely isn't Post Anything. Japan don't sound a lot like the Hold Steady, but they're kindred spirits. Brian doesn't have a real job. Brian makes rock and roll. I'm pretty sure that's what Craig Finn does too. And now that we've got that part of the way, I can tell you that we aren't going to talk about any of those albums. Well, we might talk about them a little. But we came to talk about The House That Heaven Built. Mark Hogan, if you thought the chorus from Young Hearts Spark Fire was an instant quotable, buddy, I can't imagine how you felt the first time you heard the chorus to The House That Heaven Built. And if they try to slow you down... Shadow, and they to you down, tell them all to go to hell. One of my favorite music writers, Jen Pelly, reviewed the House That Heaven Built for Pitchfork, and she wrote this: For all the commentary regarding Japan Droids and their "quote unquote" not particularly complex approach to songcraft. The House That Heaven Built emphasizes the depth that comes along with this band's emotional core. The song lyrically gets at life and death, love and hell, flesh and bone, with the context of forgotten nights and nocturnal urban imagery. At the track's three-minute peak, it breaks for breath and quick cuts the drums. It's a lifeless life with no fixed address to give, the singer Brian King screams, but you're not mine to die for anymore, so I must live. That is some rare punk poetry, justifying all the more King's recent nod to Paul Westerberg as an influence and reminding us we're lucky to still have rock singers willing to so thoroughly drain themselves into their material. Hell yes, we are lucky. But before I go any further, let me introduce the guest for this inaugural show, my longtime friend, a music and literature scholar, a father, a youth educator, and a fellow reformed blogger, Graham Preston. Graham Thank you so much for joining me today to talk about Japan Droids.
1: Oh, hi, Quinn and everyone listening. Um, love to talk about this band and, and what they mean to me and and, and the song in general that, that we're going to talk about in a minute.
0: Before we get started, I, I gave you the sheet of questions I'm going to ask. And I'm going to ask you one like, totally off the cuff now, but I, you know, I think it should yeah, be pretty easy to answer. Course. How What years did you actually live in Vancouver for? I lived
1: in Vancouver. Uh, well, I came to Vancouver to do my undergraduate at UBC. And I lived in Vancouver from 01. So August 2001 to May 2005 were the only years where I literally lived there. Yeah, so four years. It felt much longer than four years. But yeah, so the first
0: half of the decade. And then you were in Toronto after that, if I recall correctly? Yeah.
1: And then I was in Toronto from 05 to 06 for about 18 months or so. And I did my master's there. And then since July 06, with a weird interrupted period where I was living in Mongolia. I've been living in Australia. (laughs) Yeah, so it's been, let me do the math, 18 years since I've actually physically lived in Australia. Like, I could literally have had a child with my girlfriend at the time, and that child would now be an adult (laughs) since I've been in in Vancouver full time.
0: I I guess thinking back that far, then, I think the answer to this might be no, but I was just thinking, you know, off the top, I mentioned Casa del Artista and thinking about just venues that used to exist. But have you ever see a show there? It's like this little place off of like third in Maine.
1: No, that was probably, uh, there was a bunch of stuff in Vancouver that happened like literally right after I left. Maybe it's because I left, but um, like there was the, the emergency room stuff that happened. um, And perhaps Casa del Artista, I think they all emerged in like Oh six is just something like that. Like literally like a year or six months after I left. So my, my memory of Vancouver is um, our memories of the Vancouver scene at the time was like everyone was like it was really no fun city. I think that's something that's like come up a lot in Vancouver since then. But really in the the first half of the, you know, the millennium, <laughs> first half of the first decade of the millennium, like everything shot, the buses I don't know, like, because I was like, you know, eighteen, nineteen, I'm on the bus trying to get back to UBC, and like they stopped before the the bars would close or before the shows would end. So you you either have to like, you know, you either have to leave early or, or to to catch that last bus to UBC, or like you'd be stuck downtown, and then you'd probably like, you know, get the money to get a cab, or I don't even know, like, because like, there wasn't even any late night bus services. So it was like, my memory is the no fun city of sort of darkness and rain and you know, the only places to go out were like there were there were the same you know uh, community run spaces at the time as, as far as I remember.
0: I I hadn't thought about that in a, in a long time. Like I, I mean, the no fun city tag rattles around and comes up you know on occasion over the years. But I think you're right that that was like a particularly dark time uh, as far as like yeah shows went and I say like you like, said like, like getting around you couldn't afford a cab you didn't weren't going to drive. <laughs> It was it's just like hard to get places. Yeah. yeah Pre-Uber. <laughs> yeah. Pre-Uber and and at that point in time too, they would have the surge prices would have been out of control anyways once the bars closed. So.
1: <laughs> I think I remember the last bus was like 117 AM that left. I think that was the time. Because it was burnt in my memory. So I remember you'd be at like the Commodore and like the band would get on at like, I don't know, midnight or something. And they're like, okay, well they've got seventy seven minutes to get through their set before I have to jump on the like the you know the ten or the four I don't even know if they're called the those numbers are still the right enough bus numbers anymore, but anyways um and you'd be I'd be like waiting and be like, "Oh shit, it's like one one twelve, and they've just started their encore and you have to make this like calculus of like risk of do you do you, do you like push your way out and run to get the bus or do you wait or uh or, and see the band and and then then you just then you make the decision to to see the band and you're just like stuck. On the Granville Street Strip at like 1:30 a.m. <laughs> trying to get a cab. Or... <laughs> I think I walked back to UBC once as well. I was so like because you just don't have money, right? And or I didn't, or you know, you spent your money on cheap beer and Commodore merchandise and stuff. And, and then I remember I walked back down Burrard and then down Forth and I sort of gave up and I, I found. A, I think I went to a friend's house and sort of like knocked on their door and they let me in, but. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to imagine that 20 years from you know you know 20 years later doing that and that sort of risk Where it's like now it's just like even in vancouver you just like you might have a bicycle now or you like you just you know like have a car <laughs> to do instead like you would have to make that decision uh, do you remember that sort of because you were living in richmond back in those days weren't
0: you yeah so i had to like have, yeah catch the bus did that same kind of calculus i drove Places sometimes too. You had a car, that's right. So I had a car, but now I'm like, if I don't drink, whatever, I don't drink that day. But you know, uh, I'll do that even if I'm not driving. But at the time, I was like, well, oh, I can't drink if I drive, and then if I don't drive, then I've got to be on the bus at this certain time. I remember going actually in after hours, and then we would just wait until the morning bus started. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was
1: if you go to like the Bosmans or something, they would just lock you in there until six. Yeah, and do there's... stuff like that. <laughs> good times so i mean like when they talk about no fun city vancouver it wasn't actually no fun city it was just like i feel like there was like a lack of imagination by you know the community planners and stuff like that but there's still stuff to do and people to hang out with and you know the music scene was my fault because i came from edmonton um, in '01, and I just it just blew my mind. Like the ability to see bands that you could actually like to to watch, rather than just like I don't know, like country bands, and you know, um, trying to think of a really bad Vancouver Edmonton band that anyone would know, but <laughs> anyways, um, yeah, it was it was just kind of blew my mind overall.
0: I guess too. I mean, I grew up in Vancouver, so I, I kind of take that perspective for granted too. Jumping back to Japan droids, yeah, I imagine you. Seen them like I guess not here in Vancouver. Now we have the the timeline established, but like in Australia, I imagine.
1: This is the thing for a band that like is all about the live show, which I've heard about and watched on YouTube and read about in your blog. You know, seven. I think I remember that one that you read earlier. Earlier, I've never seen them play live, which is, it's due to a couple factors. One, when I moved away from Canada in 'oh six. Um, they didn't exist and then, or i don't think they existed and then the second thing was they only came i think they've only toured to australia once and it was um 2016 ish and at the time i had uh you mentioned i'm a father i had my a daughter who was about two and a half and i just sort of stopped going to shows because it's like when you have kids it's kind of you go think about what yeah, what you still want to do at night time, and a lot of the time, sleep is probably more important than seeing, you know, seeing bands. So, <laughs> um I I remember I, I remember that the, I saw the 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 notices go out. I was like, oh, oh, they're they're in town. Japan Droids are playing the tote which is like the um uh, here in Melbourne. It's the tote is the sort of iconic punk pub. It's like this piece of shit place. Yeah. Um, where, like, they've got this, they call the band room, which is, like, basically, they they took this old, like, 19th century pub, and then they built this box that's, like, connected to it, literally a box, and there's, like, this sunken dance, dance floor, which, like, you know, 10 by 10 feet, and then there's, like, space around it. I don't know if that makes sense, like, where you stand, and it's all, you know, it's supposed to be, like, charming, but it's kind of, a piece of crap actually but (laughs) which would have been probably an amazing place to see them but i just yeah so i didn't i i think I i had the kid my daughter at the time and i just was like and also like i think as you mentioned this before earlier that like they're so of their time they have a sort of sound and and history that feels very much like you know 2005 to 10 to 12 Vancouver like that's so sound to me it's always like stuck in that moment for better or for worse um that seeing them like a few years later just did not appeal to me at all so I was like (laughs) I think it's too late like I guess it's partially like I like being an early adopter to things maybe it's just like you know growing up and you always want to get the get the album first or download it first or Go to Zulu Records on a Tuesday at you know ten or whenever they opened and, and grab that CD and 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 being a, like seeing them finally ten years later just was like yeah it's to me felt like it was over the moment was over and I didn't really need to 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 see them at the time so yeah I'm I'm an unusual uh, Jeff Androids fan who just has never seen them ever.
0: I know you mentioned your, your daughter being a factor too of not going but I, I respect your self-control when you talk about like it was of a time and I was just like no I don't want to do it because I feel like now I guess we're both the target market for a lot of these like reunion tours bands getting back together yeah. and I just can't resist and I don't think I've been to a single one where I've been like oh that was incredible I, I, save for me Bikini Kill but oh yeah it, it's just not the same I don't process music in the same way as I did, even though I still love music and listen to a lot of new music. It just doesn't hit me in the same way.
1: Yeah, like they're, like this year uh, here uh, the, um, in Elvin, they're, um, Interpol and Block Party are touring together. And um, speaking of sort of that moment of the first half, mm-hmm. of the first, you know, both one to 10 bands, like Interpol, like to me, is like, the sort of new york band i know the strokes are were were a thing and the aes and stuff but they're like the one band that's like so new york to me at that time and that i listened to obsessively um walking around ubc all depressed and oh oh two and um and block party is another band that i saw i saw them at richards i think you were there too richards on richards breath and peace yeah um on the first america or first north american tour and i was blown away by them and then i, I guess i think and I was like telling someone about it. I was like, what a, what a, what a, what a, what a double bill. And they're playing like this, like outdoor Mara music bowl, which is this like 20,000 seat natural lamp, not seat, 20,000 person natural amphitheater. Um, and it's going to be in summer. it would be like, but it's just going to be all full of people that are age like 38 to 50, <laughs> which is, <laughs> which is us, um, hanging out together. And I think the moment's kind of, over or not over it's just different isn't it like um i, I remember like when we were young whippersnappers uh back in <laughs> the day remember like the pixies uh re uh reunited in like oh i can't remember oh two or something oh three and then they did these like tours where like they played the commodore and did like a bunch of nights there you probably went to that but And I always remember, like, looking down at those, like, 40-year-olds that were all, like, excited by it and being like, that band's so over, man.
0: (laughs) I think the Pixies were an exception for me. I did go to that show. No one else knew you could get tickets. I went by myself, which I actually do quite a bit now. But at the time, I was like, I'm going to a show by myself. But I was excited for that because they were such a seminal band for me. But I am thinking, like, Turn On The Bright Lights came in, like, 2000. So, you know, 23 years before 2000, like, I know if like Echo and the Bunnymen went on a reunion tour, I would have just kind of rolled my eyes. and had been like, why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess speaking of that, I mean, for us, there's like a nostalgia for, I mean, all these bands and, and but, you know, thinking of Japan Droids in particular, but do these songs still kind of stand on their own for you today?
1: Yeah. So I was actually like in advance of this podcast, I don't think I've listened to any of their albums for a number of years which is interesting cuz i those first two ones like are like post nothing and celebration rock really were things i just listened to obsessively and then i just haven't listened to them at all i think i listened to post nothing the time i came to vancouver before the most recent times so this was pre-pandemic time as like a a warming up for the for vancouver and now that i've come back to it i think again like they at the time, to me, they were nostalgic, which is, I don't know if that makes sense. Like, when I was l- listening to Post Nothing for the first time, I think it was before the Pitchfork review, because I remember you were so into them, and, and their, their album was out on polyvinyl. got the record here. Um, and nice. I heard, you, you're like, you have to listen to it, it's, gonna, it's an amazing album. I mean, you might have, maybe I've just made this up, but I think you might have had an advanced copy or something, I can't remember. And I listened to it, and at the time, so 2009, this was like only four years since I left and it just felt Vancouver brain like that, like sovereignty. We won't talk about that song later, but that feeling of just, you know, utter, like, it's kind of like Vancouver enough for people who haven't lived there. It's like the city that's amazingly beautiful yet. Most of the year is just dreary, basically. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and it has a sort of like, dampness to it. And the the album I don't know if this sounds too pretentious or makes any sense, but the album and their music just sound damp to me in a good way, like how messy it is. Um and re- listening to them again uh last day or a couple days just was like, yeah, like some of the songs I think are just like so stupid they're amazing. Um and <laughs> like the lyrics veer from being like poetry to being just crap. But I think that's kind of the effect to me. Is it's like it feels young, yet not too young. Like it's not music by, you know, eighteen year olds about how cool they are and stuff. It's more music by like guys who are, you know, early to mid twenties looking back at their eighteen year old self. Like it's kind of interestingly nostalgic at the time and messy and like their their like their songs. I think still capture that for me. um And I know some people like literally hate them as well. That are also from Vancouver, like you mentioned them. They go, "Oh, they're the worst band." (laughs) But I think it's just that that they have such a. It seems like like deceptively simple, sound, deceptively simple lyrics that, add up to something much more.
0: When you talk about lyrics that veer, into I guess stupidity for lack of a better term like, let's get to France so we can French kiss some French girls. Like, it has that yeah. 18-year-old spirit, but I would have been, like, terrified to, like, utter those in a recording when I was 18. Like, I think you have to be a little older, being like, what did we feel like, and what do we want to feel like, and what are we thinking about, to, to put that to tape.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we, these those these girls are all bikini kill. We need a ride to bikini island. Like, it's stupid. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but it's like, it's on the surface stupid, but then like, and that French Kiss and French Girls lied is just like, it's just a genius. It's like Chef's Kiss is amazing. Like that. but <laughs> still like works beautifully.
0: You talked to, you mentioned the band even at the time kind of felt nostalgic. Like you have an old school rock spirit, I guess. And I think that's how they wanted to come across. And I guess I mean, you're, you're sort of hearing that too. Is that something you care about? Is it make it, is it better? Is it worse? Is it just, is what it is?
1: Yeah, I think like the it's old school. Like, I think um, like it has a sort of a a quality to that's just loud is one thing. Like, so they've taken sort of classic sort of punk and pop punk sort of fuzz and and, and messiness and, and and it's so. This is also like not a diss. but because of their that there's only two of them. And there's like guitar and drums. It sounds so like there was that moment where like every band was a two person band for a while, and, like, <laughs> and which was of this era. Like, there was so many two people bands, and um, yeah, you know, I guess you know, White Stripes and the yeah. Yes, well, there's three of them, but like two make you know, two on instruments, yeah, and, two, two instruments, um, yeah, yeah, they were just everywhere, like, or, or variations thereof of them. So, they've taken that sort of two person band and. I don't know the, the backstory, why they don't have a bassist or anything, but like, or a second guitarist or, you know, someone on, I don't know, effects, or synthesizer, whatever they could throw <laughs> it <brought> in there. <laughs> a DJ, yeah, very like DJ Lethal on the cuts. But, because I think that, that, that instrumentation, I guess, um, of having only the guitar and the drums, and like, their uh, the, the guitar sound really makes it sound, I don't think timeless, or like classic Rocky, or, or even old, rocky but like it feels yeah very zeros and then also has that sort of like the punk sound to it too the, the noise as well recorded and I think it was really recorded very well as well like to, there's a lot of bands that like put on amazing live shows and they just you know you listen to the record and it just sounds like crap right so but you still like if you listen to this one like post nothing you know 14 15 years later well, whoever did the recording with Jesse Gander really could capture that sort of the chaos or the not chaos, but, you know, that that noise and the abrasive yet, you know, sound to it, I guess. And if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's not a live album, but that it's got that feeling for some reason. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, there you go. That's a better way to put it.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about the house I haven't built. Sure. I mentioned before, I think my favorite Chipadro song is, is Younger Us, which I guess leads you know, back to that whole nostalgia idea. But I think, you know, looking back, if you were to ask someone today, like I imagine this is like the consensus Japan's right? song. Like it's got to be this or young heart Sparkfire. fire. I imagine.
1: I think it's this one. Like if you look on, um, on Spotify, the evil empire, it's gotten like 14 million streams or something extraordinarily huge compared to the rest of their catalog. So it's on some sort of the algorithm has picked it up. And I wonder who's, like getting skipped onto it like, you know, shuffled onto it. But yeah, it's definitely this is their song, I would say.
0: That's such a funny aside just as an aside, the songs being discovered, like how do you get here? You know, when you're just the algorithm's pointing you, that's a really funny thing to think about as well. And if it's if you get if if kids are getting there from like modern music too, something that's really interesting. Like we could go into that forever, but Uh, This, I know this will not be near and dear to your heart as a as an Edmontonian, but uh, this was the Vancouver Canucks warm up song for a while, which I find hilarious.
1: What seasons? Do you know what seasons?
0: It was, I can't remember when, but it wasn't even the full season. I don't think they for the longest time came out to where the streets have no name. And then they did this thing where I I think there was like, like a vote. And I don't think they won. But just for some reason, they just started coming out to this. And I remember being at a game for the first time I realized that it had started happening and just looking around being like, oh, my God, it's just like Brian and Dave from Japan. <laughs> it's like at this big four sporting event. That's amazing. I think thinking about early in our conversation, you might have a, a different take on this. But a friend of mine once said that the house they haven't built built was the, quote unquote, most Vancouver song of all time. And I was wondering we you thought about that.
1: Oh, I, I I can see it. I think I think the most Vancouver Droid song would be Sovereignty because it's like literally about getting out of Vancouver. And <laughs> it's <such a> Vancouver <laughs> like you're you there and you're like I can't wait to get out, and then you're there and then you get out and you're like oh I can't go wait to go back. I think it like it's uh, for me it would be yeah I would uh, yeah I'd say Sovereignty probably or um, even Young Hearts, but it has that sort of like. I'm thinking about it in terms of like a hockey song It's actually inter- interesting because if you look read the lyrics and you think about it, you know when they love you and they will tell them they'll love in my shadow. If try to slow you down, tell them will go to hell. It actually sounds like the chorus, like what you mentioned yeah. earlier. It sounds like like oh, they're trying to slow us down, boys. Let's get going. You know, you know. And there's that deep love somehow that you know Vancouverites have for the Canucks, which I've never understood. But um, <laughs> so it does actually like. Yes, I didn't know that it was the the hockey song at, at all until you mentioned it today or yeah, you know, It 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 fits weirdly. Like it's a weird fit and like you listen to it and it's just like you know, it, we might talk about it in a minute but it's just it's so driving and it's like it's hook after hook and it's very motivating. Like yesterday I was researching for our conversation and I was at the gym and I was doing like some weights and stuff and I just had this song on and I was just like Maybe want to fucking kill something like in a good way, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So it's very motivating. So I see why it would fit there.
0: I, I had never thought about that, but yeah, it does. The chorus has a very jock jams, yeah. Whether or not, it's, whether whether you never, regardless of what the intention was, it has that motivational sports quality too, which is very funny. I guess anything else about this band when you think back to it that you wanted to talk about?
1: I think like. Yeah, the last thing like one of the things I wanted to to mention um and was like the third album I've never listened to like I don't know why I don't even know what it's called. <laughs> and I just it might have come out like it came out uh 7 2017 I think it was basically yeah. research. And to me I've just like it just this is before uh, like streaming for me. I was a later adopter to streaming. And, um, you know, I think I saw it in a record store and I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to buy that. And <laughs> and so I find this band really interesting because it's like, there's some bands where I go, like, just even based on, like, what, you know, the recordings and stuff and just, like, we'll buy absolutely everything and, as you probably do, and every single and every 7-inch and all the albums and, like, obsessively listening to, like, you know, the lyrics and you know think about the meaning like this sort of like a destroyer type band or you know artists but then this band is like there's these two albums i've got the two albums i've got the younger us seven inch and then i'm like i'm done i'm like i'm 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 fine like that's, <laughs> that's all i want from them like i don't know if they're uh, together anymore or if they're i think they reunited he said for for some shows but like i don't know if they're gonna tour again or anything but it's just to me, it's so interesting. It's like there's these two albums which have amazing highs, I find. And some of the lesser songs are, are, they're all still good. And, you know, they had these amazing moments and they just sort of captured something for a certain time period. And then I think that's it for me. I don't know. What did you think of the last album? Did you listen to it or get into it? Or
0: I've listened to it. I've certainly listened to it much less than the other two full lengths. And, and I think. I, mean, I don't like it as much, and I think that is more of an like an objective thing. Like, I think that's like kind yeah. of like general opinion that is not as good as the other two, but it's like a similar sound. Okay. Thinking about again, like going back to that, like the first two records being of a time, like five years off between celebration rock and uh, near to the wild heart of life, which is yeah, the, the last full that came in twenty seventeen. It's just a long time. Like a lot of things, passed and and you know before that, post nothing was two thousand nine. They kind of re released those two EPs on a compilation. Like there was just like steady stream of music and then just nothing.
1: Mm. Are they broken up or are they? Do you like what's their? What are they like now? Are they together or are they? They're just on a hiatus or what's what? I don't
0: think there's anything official. <laughs> like so officially, they're together. Uh, I guess it's a hiatus because nothing's happened. But like I don't I don't think they're officially broken up. Actually saw saw at a wedding last summer. I didn't ask him about Japan Droids at all. We just kind of made small talk. But yeah, I, I think something could still happen. I I don't think they're actively working on anything. But I mean, who, who knows?
1: Well, that kind of fits them perfectly, doesn't it? Then there was this moment they released a couple few albums, a couple of EPs, and like they could reunite. You know, they could like. There's probably some promoter out there right now going, like, you know, just give them another few years. say like 2020, you know, seven, we'll say.: <laughs> 18 years since the first album, so the people that were related really to them then are going to be in their late 30s and early 40s, and it'd be perfect time for a reunion tour. so
0: <laughs> Even next year, like a 15 years you know, a post nothing uh, thing.' just a couple shows. Pretty- yeah.
1: Commodore, you know. I don't know where else, somewhere in Victoria. Why not? I, yeah, they could
0: get into Pitchfork Fest with that, right? Fifteen years. Yeah, they, yeah Pitchfork yeah. gave it a Best New Music.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Play, play, play the big American cities. Like, do a big show at the Commodore, and then put on hiatus for another five. <laughs> but again, I'm not a promoter, and I'm I'm not them. So, yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to organize that for them. So. <laughs>
0: Well, if it happens and if uh, the stars align, you happen to be in town. I know you kind of gave your opinion on reunion shows, but I want to want you to know. I'm going to drag you to that one.
1: Oh, I'd, I'd, if I was in town, in my one of my couple of yearly visits for a couple of weeks, and it was on. I would I would be there. I was actually um, this is unrelated to Japan Droids, but like I took my daughter to her first sort of concert, this festival a few months ago. She's nine now, and she um, she's into like pop music and stuff. And yeah, you know, despite my trying to get her into other things um and there's this uh aboriginal australian pop star called jessica mowboy who's playing this like aboriginal reconciliation treaty festival which is kind of a crazy thing to go to as your first concert so but she really wanted to she's short too like because she's nine so i was we were out like middle and then she's like i can't see anything to add and she's like let's go closer so i ended up actually Front row, for the first time, I think, like front row against the fence, holding her up for the for her show, for the show. But it was my first time in the very front row, you know, up against the fence, I think since about this time period, like like 2005, 2006, but it would have been like the very last when I was in Toronto. I think I saw LP or Def Jux or something, and I was front row and really drunk. But like, for me, it was like the very first time I was... Uh, her first concert I was front row and I was like wow this is such a cool experience and she was really into it even though you know it wasn't anything like Japan droids but I think if say 2024 or 25 when I'm back and they're playing a show we'll go there we've got to go front row and uh <laughs> you got to get your um digital camera out again like you used to go out and take oh photos yeah blog well, and you know take photos and <laughs> Just be like the early, like early mid-zeros gang, just in the front row. Uh, not, we can't drink crafts or anything craft. It's got to be like crap, you know, mostly Canadian. PBR. Um, PBR. Isn't it free PBR? I think PBR became the thing, you know, a little, oh, maybe around that time, actually. Yeah, so PBR only or worse, basically. Uh, getting really drunk in the front row. Do you think we'd be, you'd be into that?
0: Absolutely. I'm thinking about it now. I'm thinking about this song and uh, I'm getting excited and I think that's a perfect place to end it off too. So uh, thanks so much for joining me on the very first episode of this podcast. I, I hope there's many more uh, and if that is the case, whether it's the case or not, I will look back on this one fondly. Thank you so much, my friend.
1: Thanks for involving me. I love you know, talking about music and you know, as a ex uh, music blogger who doesn't really do it that much anymore. I talk about, you know, it's good to to get my opinion out there in the world again awesome
0: thanks man take care
1: thanks man see you soon
0: thanks again to my guest graham preston if you're like me you'll head over to your favorite streaming platform dig out an lp cd or maybe an mp3 and listen to the house that have been built see you next time